Hi, I'm Jane. And I'm Sophie. Welcome to A TARDIS OF ONE'S OWN. A queer feminist journey through time and space and new who. Ah, <sighs> another week. Uh, apologies yeah. for missing last week. We were yeah. beset by illness, which we thought was COVID, because we are both footloose and COVID-free. <laughs> Touch word. However, been have been surrounded. Mm. Um, New Zealand's going through a bit of a winter rise in cases, so yeah, we're we're just doing our best. Yeah, and then we're also very paranoid. So <laughs> alas, we did not record last week, um, but we feel better. Yeah, we feel healthy, yeah, yeah. and we're back for another yeah. episode. Yeah. What's been happening? Any men piss you off this week? Um, no. Always good. I have been actively trying to build relationships with male co-workers mm. who I feel like I get on with fine, but like it's definitely in my interest to get on better with them. And so, you know, ones that, you know, may kind of roll me up, do bits of mansplaining, you know, I've been trying to like those bridges and that comes at a bit of a cost, obviously. But yeah. ultimately it's good. And and it gives me, I think I get, it makes me feel positive to be like, yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> like, I've definitely noticed you're trying. So yeah. that's lovely. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Um, but no, otherwise, yeah, doing good. Doing mm. good. How are you? Yeah, same. I'm trying to think if there were any incidents, but I think we've been pretty chill. I can't think of anything that's particularly enraged me. Other than, of course, my incident was it yesterday when I just marched in here and started yelling. <laughs> you you like said morning to me and I'm like, fuck, flips table. No, yeah, that was Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I organized a meeting which then blew up in my face and I'm like, well, why? Why do I do anything? And it was completely out of my control, but it was still yeah. enraging. You exactly were, and I was like, hi, and you were, were hi, and then you looked around and were like, these fuckers better be here. And I was like, mate, they're not here. And then, <laughs> and you just like turned back to your computer. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was like, <laughs> stand out. I waited approximately like ten to fifteen minutes to then be like, "Would you like a cup of tea?" <laughs> so yeah, that was enraging. Although that feels like a very long time ago. So that's Tuesday for you. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I'll do the episode summary and then we can crack on. So this week we're watching episode seven, The Long Game. And in the year 200,000, the Doctor discovers that a satellite with a dark secret is controlling humanity and slowing its development. Bechdel test? Yes. yes. Women talking about career stuff. Mm. Not necessarily to, in a, like a positive way and definitely influenced by a structure of patriarchal kind of... Mm employment and promotion concerns but yeah they're definitely talking about stuff that's not you know a dude yeah very career driven hey yeah yeah but kind of yeah in that way that you know strong career woman goes home for christmas and falls in love with a farmer who teaches (laughs) her career is not the only thing oh god (laughs) every single like made for yeah, yeah hallmark made for tv and it has like christmas or goes to a ranch in falls the in love with the ranch. Yeah, oh my god. Yeah. yeah, okay, cool. So I took the lead on thinking of a discussion theme this week. Mm-hmm. And I watched this episode and a couple of we had a couple of kind of options for that. Mm. But the main one that stuck with me is they are, you know, living on the satellite and they say that it's satellite five and that they explain, you know, we are the news. We write it, package it, broadcast it. Mm-hmm. That really kind of struck me as like, oh, this is the idea of controlling a narrative. Mm-hmm. So the humans that live on this satellite believe, until the end of the episode, when there's the big reveal, but mm-hmm. they believe that they are shaping the news for the human race. Mm-hmm. But actually, that's not right. It's being, they're being controlled by this 
extremely low budget CGI blobby <laughs> worm monster that we don't see until the <laughs> no, very end. Which is great because they've not got the budget. Yeah, it made me think of these parallels with how women's and marginalized um, people's narratives have been controlled over time. So typically by you know these patriarchal structures controlling how. Uh, a small group of people or a small type of people controlling how others are perceived Mm -hmm. by the general populace, Mm -hmm. but also controlling their own ideas of themselves through what you're being told is true about you. Yeah. And that idea of you not being in control of your own story Mm. and having that dictated to you. Yeah, being told how you should feel, right? Because for me, when I think about it, the idea that it's a, a patriarchal control because controlling the narrative is about power right Mm -hmm. so when you take people's stories from them you are the one who's in control you shape their reality and the reality of everyone else whether it's true or not like and that's what we see here it's not even factual right so that's why it's something that comes up quite a lot i think in critical race theory Mm -hmm. um because of the whitewashing of history and of stories so I came across a very recent example of this and how this narrative of loss impacts people with regards to how women, usually white women, use The Handmaid's Tale as a means of framing um, the loss of freedoms, well, the perception of the loss of freedoms. Like, So they want to reflect the horror. For example, about the overturning of Roe versus Wade, right? You had all these people being like, this is like Handmaid's Tale shit. Yeah. But it negates the fact that for black women, they've already lived that reality. And when yeah. a white woman says that, they're saying the worst thing that could happen to them is to live the way that black women already lived so it just like takes those stories there is a woman empress onyx on tiktok and also on instagram i saw it on instagram because until friday i was not on tiktok and she talks about that a lot um and it clarified it for me because i hadn't thought about it until i saw this piece but it's a really good little video and i'll put the link in the show notes but she explains that the story shows white women living under the same conditions that black women were already living at and she says This is a direct quote from her. I want you to understand that what you are saying when you compare the present and possible future to The Handmaid's Tale, you are saying that you are afraid of living a life of a black woman. You are afraid of experiencing the trauma of a black woman. You cannot possibly see yourself living the life of a black woman. You have completely ignored what that means for us, because if you think it's bad for you, it'll be worse for us. And I just, yeah, it's just something to keep in mind that by taking people's stories from them, you remove that context. And it's something that people don't even think about, right? They just see it in this one frame because the other narratives Mm. have been suppressed. I came across um, a source, it's a chapter, I think, from a, a book called Feminist Methodologies. But basically they were saying that storytelling or, or and kind of retelling stories and, and dictating you know what stories you want to put out in the world about you and and by you challenges dominant narratives that erase oversimplify and universalize women's voices and experiences yeah so you're it's that idea of homogenization of being like this experience of one woman must be the same for all women mm-hmm. and you become like we've talked about this before you become representative of, of the whole. so the standards are higher or whatever and what um because you are not just a person you're a woman representing women and that idea of homogenization and that um oversimplification absolutely like your your example there of whitewashing is is, is so pertinent because we're taking the dominant mm. which which is white people from within that experience and saying, well, it applies to everyone. Yeah. Because when you're oversimplifying, you're literally going to pick what's most top of mind, right? And then you pick that thing as being like, rather than realising there's a shit ton of nuance you're missing. Yeah. Because you're not trying to go for depth. You're just trying to be like, oh, well, women think this. Yeah, it applies to everyone because it's easier to just 
paint everyone with the same brush, right? And we see this in representation in shows as well. We've spoken about that before, where people yep. are like, well, you've got one gay character and that'll be enough to stand in for all gay characters or for all gay people, you know? It's just, yeah. I think, and then, then I was started thinking about, you know, women not having, and, and yeah, especially black women, but generally marginalised people mm. um, not having that space to tell their stories. And even if they do, you know, what place that story has and how much they're listened to. And in the episode towards the end, Kathika says to the doctor, you have to stay and explain it. No one's going to believe me. Mm. And that made me think of exactly that. Yeah, who gets to tell the story? It made me think Mm. of Hamilton because, you know, the whole thing of Hamilton is like, who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Mm. And Elizabeth, oh, Eliza rather, takes herself out of his narrative. She's like, I'm removing myself from the narrative. It's a conscious decision that she makes in the the musical. This idea of who tells the story and how that influences how it is perceived, which made me think of how people choose narratives that suit Mm. their own end goal, basically. So, you know, I sent you that post on Instagram by Matt Bernstein about people who push their agenda push heteronormativity right and it's like oh he's such a ladies man when it's a 12 month old baby but if a queer person has i don't know any kind of queer media in a classroom they're accused of being a predator and yeah. that the narrative is completely switched based on who holds the power and what the the agenda is that's being pushed so it's like yeah. oh we've got this predator narrative so because we don't want to give queer people any power so we'll keep pushing that but if it's straight people behaving in the exact same way then it's like cute and great and lovely yeah. and that is just completely messed up yeah absolutely and and using that in a really manipulative way it really annoys me when you hear about uh, typically it's like celebrities or um but kind of in a entrepreneurial or like men in business sense when you'll hear like oh, you know, rags to riches, like, they worked hard and they fought to where they are and mm. it's all just hard work and you just have to, like, put the arrows in. And no, actually, like, they were, you know, born into a shit ton of money. They went to the fanciest schools. Yeah, the no. starting position is not the same. Absolutely. And it makes it easier because it's a nicer story to tell, right? Mm. To be like, this is one man's struggle. And, you know, just by working hard, like, no, you're not, it's not the same. You know, like, Kim Kardashian got a shit ton of flack right recently for being like... Yeah, wait, get up and work. Um, And also the idea, you know, people will say, you've got the same 24 hours in the day oh, as Beyonce. Fuck off. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no, God. I don't. She's got people who help her. She's got staff. I don't have staff. Where's my staff, basically, is what I'm getting from this. And yeah, I feel like at the moment there's this way that the narrative is also being twisted around to make trans people an attack on feminism, right? Like over the use of the word woman. So people be like, this this whole inclusive language thing has been painted as a war on women, which is then cited in the same breath as Roe versus Wade. And it's a false equivalency. Like these things are not the same. And Blair Amani said on Instagram, accurate and inclusive language does not threaten my womanhood because I don't find validation of in excluding other people. And like, yeah. Being inclusive is not an attack on womanhood. Like, that's just end of story. But that's the narrative that's being spun. Like, oh, you can't use the word woman because trans people are coming for you. Like, trans women are coming for your rights as a woman. They're a threat to feminism. And that's that's not coming from people who have women's best interests in heart. That's coming from the power structures that's trying to turn us against each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't understand it. I don't understand, you know, whether it's like Jordan Peterson or some other asshole who has a thing against pronouns. Yeah. Because they're like, when does it end? How much effort is this actually causing 
Like, basically none. It's so weird. So I think it's they don't like being not in control and being told how they have to behave. It's weird, weird though, as well, because, like, English doesn't have, like, a formal address, right? Like, I grew up speaking Afrikaans. We've got a formal U and a casual U. Yeah. And French has got a formal U and a casual in U. In German, it's the same. Yeah, and I think that that influences it because in those situations, you're used to using different addresses to different people. So actually folding pronouns into that kind of thing is, it, it, is easy. Yeah. Whereas I think English speakers are like, well, I've never had to differentiate. I can just judge by based on how people look. So therefore, I, this is a leap too far for me. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. There's so many layers to it as well. You raised a great point. Because it's not just men. Like you said, mm. like so many TERFs weighed in on this too. But the yeah. problematic thing about this is it's not even TERFs now. It's people who are protesting Roe versus Wade, which is the overturning of Roe versus Wade, which you can say is a very reasonable thing to be mad about yeah. and wanting to do. And then they've just gone, and we can't even call ourselves women anymore. It's all part of the same thing and those are two different Mm. streams that have been merged because it's being merged by mainstream media because for them just it's just like yeah i mean they're already on the anti-inclusive language anti-pronoun terrain so they just tie it to this this outrage around Roe versus Wade because they're like, haha. Yeah, like, yeah. It feels very disingenuous to me. Yeah. And I think it was in the New York Times they ran an article about this is just all, it doesn't matter whether you're on the right or left, everyone has got a war against women. So on the right, it's abortion rights, but on the left, you can't even say the word woman. So it doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you fall on. It's a war on women, and that's not what the yeah. pronoun and the inclusive language thing is. It's not a war on women. It's messed up that that is the narrative that's being pushed by the institution yeah. because it's yeah. in there interest is in the patriarchy's interest to turn us against each other so we waste all this time defending and having these conversations about trans women which they didn't ask for it's completely fabricated by the power structures to keep us busy so that Mm -hmm. we not we don't rise up and dismantle the patriarchy and and it's just control right like Mm. yeah keeping us busy keeping us occupied keeping us divided because that's where we're weakest exactly and so that kind of segues kind of nicely into some other points I made notes on around the idea of then challenging this narrative that's not been shaped by yourself. Mm. So having these narratives made for you, being told, you know, this is what this is like for the experience of women. This is how women should be. This is, you know, this is our definition of what a woman is, you know, mm-hmm. all of that. Then you're trying to challenge that within a structure that has conditioned, in some cases conditioned, yeah. you know, from for a long time, generationally, to be like, well, this is our idea of what, how a woman should be in terms of you need to be, like, meek and, you know, amenable, friendly, mild-mannered. You know, ideally you should be aiming to, to get a husband is definitely uh, definitely a hetero vibe that they're going for. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to Have some children. degree... Yeah, absolutely. And, and make that kind of nuclear family ideal. And so it's not just the idea of challenging that structure, but you're going against the conditioning that it's raised you, you know, of how you are, of who you are. Yeah, and what it means to be a valued member of society. Like, as soon as you become divergent... Yeah. If you diverge from the box, like the path, if you think outside of the box, as soon as you become a problem child, what does that mean for you? And then that's where the narrative thing comes in as well, because if you're in the counterculture, if you're not in the mainstream, then they start telling all sorts of dumb stories about you, and the narrative changes a lot. Like, I remember in 2004, 2006 the Daily Mail ran a story about how emo was a death cult because there were all these emo kids right and like a lot of emo kids were for better or worse depressed and so there was like an undercurrent of you know self-harm and things undercutting all that and rather than addressing the fact that hey why is our youth so Mm -hmm. disaffected it was like it's emo's fault right 
It's like, why are people shooting up high schools? It must be the video games, like that sort of thing. 1980s. Yeah. Satanic panic I feel because like, of Dungeons and Dragons. I feel like we're in a second satanic panic with all this stuff that's happening now. There's kind of like a Puritan culture mm. from the States in particular, right? That just feels very strong. Yeah. And then they use this, like, you mentioned before, like, kind of frame it, frame it in a way where they're like, no, but we're just protecting children. We're protecting the innocent. Yes. We're just after traditional family values. It always is about protecting the children, both with like this trans rhetoric always with the queer rhetoric always it's always been about protecting the kids right like yeah. oh my gosh if you let a child think of the bathrooms <laughs> yeah the bathrooms <laughs> but also with the COVID vaccines it was mm. all about the children and even the lockdowns what is this doing to our kids and I'm not saying there aren't repercussions for you know kids who can't go to school you know the socialisation people like that but also that's not your bi- it's yeah. a disingenuous reason that's this not the real t- reason and, and that is said with you know some awareness of the potential cynicism angle but it's the easiest thing that will be our lowest common denominator right like everyone cares about kids think of the children won't somebody think of the children and then when you're challenging it they can be like you don't care about children or even worse for me well you you don't want kids so you'll never understand when you're a parent yeah yeah no (laughs) it's a no from me which is another narrative right another way to position someone's opinion as being more worthy than someone else's because you're conforming to the this main narrative. Like I've, I'm a, yeah. I'm married. I've got children. I've got the house. I've got all these things. Therefore, my voice is worth more than yours. That's my narrative is more mm. important than your narrative. You've got a higher place in the hierarchy, as it mm. were, because you, you know, you are a top tier conforming to the narrative, contributing ideal. to society. Yeah, holding yeah. up the status quo. Mm. And also within that, you know, fitting somebody's or or the common idea of what womanhood is. Yes. Because then, you know, I definitely, you hear that all the time when people like older women will be like, well, but what will you do if you won't have children? What's the point? Being What's alive? the point of life? <laughs> Living life? This life, yeah. this its own reward? Yeah, it's interesting how narrative gets weaponized. And I think we've seen this throughout history, right? This is why we learn how to judge primary sources and how to judge information, right? Because every account you read is just one person's account. Even something that is like a reporter writing something, you still have to account for some sort of bias. What kind of society are they living in? What is the context of this thing being written? Like, no one lives in a vacuum. Which then, turning it back to the episode, is totally wild that they're like, we decide the news. Yeah. That they are getting all of these, like, streams of information through the wild headbots. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then using humans, effectively, as kind of external processing units mm. to be able to determine what's valid, what's not, and, you know, the form in which then humanity will... Yeah, because that's yeah. very complicated. Like, it's a very dodgy way of doing things, because you're letting it up to these people to decide what is worthy and what isn't like we decide what's worthwhile we decide what we tell people but who who gives you the right Hmm. you know you're not representative of everyone you don't know what's going to be useful to everyone but then the the flip side of that is of course i think one of the issues we have in society right now is everyone's too siloed so you can very easily just consume the information that you want that confirms your bias every day all day every day if that's the only news you see it's very easy to end up in an echo chamber right yeah and then that's problematic as well if you're just seeing stuff that's just been developed for your particular point of view then how are you growing how are you learning you kind of need you need that objective journalism I just don't think objective journalism really exists that's it too yeah and I think yeah I'm just that was just occurring to me that like we I'm definitely not and I don't think you are as well coming from a perspective of you know in the episode this idea of news is crazy but like now we have great news like no, we don't no, have no, great no, news no, no, no. <laughs> like it's all fucking flawed but yeah yeah I 
the problem with the the episodes news in particular is it's kind of like it's a monopoly. It's one person in charge of the news. It's just one yeah. outlet. So therefore, you don't get any kind of variety. If yeah. That's the that's the risk. Like if there's only one person deciding what is worthwhile, like it's flawed now, but it's at least there's some diversity. If, and yeah, yeah, and if, definitely in the episode, we obviously ultimately find out that they think that they've been like just doing the news and mm. prioritizing what's important and getting it, but then it turns out you know for ninety years progress has stagnated because the blobby, batoothed, scary thing has been limiting progress and very by increments and increments and increments controlling their physical environment, deciding who is coming in and who is isn't in a eugenically creepy way mm-hmm. getting rid of you know other influence of other alien species and and making humanity very siloed to the point where they don't even you know with such incremental change they don't even realize what's happening mm. and so that they they think that they're operating far more freely than they are. Yeah, which is, I guess, kind of a veiled criticism of censorship and state control, right? Or not even state control, just single ownership. This is what would happen if Rupert Murdoch controlled all of our Mm. media. And you're like, yeah, no, but I can write about whatever I want. But no, you can write about what's within the framework of what is considered appropriate for a Murdoch publication. Yeah, and especially if you tie this into the episode we watched before this. So if one person is in charge of the internet, if one person owns the internet and you've got one person and owning the media like suddenly your ability yeah I can say whatever I want but you don't you, you don't have really have that power you yeah. know this is why people talk about oh I'm being censored now on the internet I'm like you're not because you're saying it on the internet if you were being censored you wouldn't be able to say it on the internet like yeah. if you lived in a, a state that actually controlled your speech and there are countries that do that China now, China yeah. as you know Russia Google Facebook instance, like yeah. those are countries that you're not allowed to so there are places where you can't actually have any freedom but if you have the ability to use your platform your newspaper column to say that you're being censored then you're not being censored yeah an interesting one for sure yeah I think there's a lot of parallels with yeah like you say like our understanding of media and it is interesting just to wonder what the writers were thinking as well. Mm. You know, circa 2005, like, obviously I was that much younger. This wasn't a level of... This definitely wasn't things I was thinking about, like, control no. of the narrative or my access to news sources or, like, none of that was on my radar. I was, wasn't on any social media. I, I suppose this like, is like a... Post 9-11, so, you know, the kind of war on terror, what are we being told, Blair mm. lying about weapons of mass destruction, going mm. to wars on fake information... Although I don't know if we knew that. Still in very much in the George W. Bush years mm. in America. Yeah, but it feels like a very long time ago. Where we are now with misinformation, it definitely feels like a different episode than it would have been. But it feels weirdly prescient. Yeah, I know. Yeah, interesting. Hey, it's weird to think that we we seem to be having the same conversations all the time. We always feel like everything's terrible. Then you look back ten years ago, I'm like, oh, like, it was terrible oh, then no. too. <laughs> yeah, just slightly it. differently terrible. Oh, I came across an interesting quotation about the idea of control from George Orwell's 1984. Classic. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. Ah, of course. So this idea, obviously, 1984, you've got this uh, big brother, Mm -hmm. OG big brother, controlling society in Mm -hmm. all areas and all aspects. And yeah, that idea that if you can shape what people think about what has gone before, you can shape what is yet to come. It's interesting because that's what happened with the Philippines election recently, you know, with the Marcos election and how they reshaped the history of the Philippines reshaped the, yeah. this reality of living under a dictator being like life was great back then and like just completely remarketed this time and so you rewrite history essentially you literally right? retconned yeah. a dictatorship and this is what people worry about as well you know once the last living people from wars are no longer living 
Holocaust survivors are no longer living, if you don't have real people who witnessed it, if you don't have people who were there, what happens? These things just get rewritten to suit a different narrative. Absolutely. And we see this, you know, through history, with our understanding of history, like, you know, the mm. point you made before, when it's important to really make sure you kind of have an understanding of sources and like how many things in the distant past our understanding of is based on very patchy sources, Mm -hmm. not written contemporaneously at all. Mm. So it could have been like generations later and it's come down through, you know, a text that's since been lost to us and someone's talking about that text and their understanding of it. And it's only by like degrees. Like we say. Absolutely. And so I think it will be interesting to see. I mean, we won't be alive to see it, lol. But in like a thousand years time, how much more data and information survives from now because we have like the digital medium we have um, you know information science is like a whole thing to try and retain all of this whereas you know a thousand definitely two thousand years ago that wasn't you know there wasn't the vibe and any writing that was done was done by a a small few on a very biodegradable medium so and it's not foolproof right because technology can change and we can lose access to technology maybe in you know, if we get discovered by an alien race a thousand, two thousand years from now, mm. and they're like, we can't access these beta discs. Like, you know, they don't have the opportunity to read the information that we've I left out. I genuinely there. think if you gave me a floppy disk today and told me you've got a hundred bucks if you can play this within 24 hours, I would not be able to do it. Yeah, where would you find a drive? Like, maybe computer shops have them? But, like, you know, like, it's that kind of thing. Like, we were talking about at work the other day, like VHS. VHS. yeah. If I had any videos, which I don't, but if I had any... I would have no way to play them. It's just gone. Yeah. So There's a Cowboy Bebop episode where they go looking for a VCR. It's quite funny. <laughs> I think it's interesting how information is used to impress people in this episode. You know how the doctor comes out and he gives Rose, like, the download about this, the area they're in and, like, this is the space station and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that when Adam comes out, she just relays all of that. Yeah. And then when she doesn't know something, she's like, oh... Ask the doctor. He knows more about this stuff. Why do you even want to impress Adam is the real question. Yeah, so maybe this is a nice segue to um, random observation. Mm. Some bizarre things happening in this episode. So, like, you brilliantly that you just raised Adam because mm. my note is Adam just gallivanting around. <laughs> What's he up to? Well, nominally he's trying to get access to all this information so he can take it back with him to yeah. the past. Do you think his motivations are altruistic? No. Yeah. But I also don't think that's what he turns up there with the intention of doing. Like, he's very opportunistic, right? So he, mm. you can sort of see him have that thought when he gets Rose's mobile. And he's like, oh, I've got a mobile. Maybe I can use it. But I'm thinking he's like stock market speculation. Like, <laughs> I can get rich with this info, right? But it is kind of... It me think of Back to the Future and the sports <laughs> yeah, almanacs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is sort of wild that they just let him... Roam? Yeah. Like, oh, I mean, he does pitch it as like, oh, I'm not feeling very well. It's all very overwhelming. But it's such a... Like, Rose is trying... Like, she doesn't try very hard to stick with him. She's like, oh, great, an excuse to ditch. Ditch. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think it's so interesting because, you know, the doctor's like, he's your boyfriend. And she's like, not anymore. But she has a boyfriend. Like, I'm not shaming Rose here, but she has not had that conversation with No, 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 she hasn't. And Mickey waited for her for, in his experience, an entire year. Yeah. Whilst being accused of her murder. (laughs) And they had a conversation where she asked him, you know, have you been seeing anyone else? Like, she, Mm. the vibe in that was very much like, Oh, I don't want you seeing anyone else. And now she's got Adam on the side. Yeah, it's very odd. 
And then he says that thing, you know, it's going to take a better man than me to get between you two. I'm like, what? Yeah. The, again, I keep raising this, but very flirty between the uh, mm. Doctor and Rose. She's like standing unnecessarily close to him. And yeah. a lot. I mean, I, maybe they're just trying to like tighten the shot, <laughs> but like kind of almost right next to him for a lot of this. I mean, they get in the lift at the end and they go to the, you know, they're like, yes, we need to go up and up to the top floor and do our big saving adventure. And they're like holding hands again. Mm. Also, the Doctor is like flirty himself at one point. Oh, all right. I'll hug anyone. And it's like, let me out of these manacles and you'll find out how fun I am. I'm like, what is happening? Oh, doctor. And then Rose to the doctor. Oh, you're going to get a smack. You are. Oh, my gosh. I hated that. But also, it's just really yuck. He also says to Rose at one point, you and your boyfriends, which really implies that Rose is a liability. Like, you know, she's a silly girl who's always distracted by boys. Like, I don't like that. She actively left one single boyfriend to come on these adventures with you. So unless he counts himself as one of these boyfriends. Like, unless every planet they visit, she just manages to hook up with someone, which, you know. True. This is it. This is the idea of, like you said in canon, they... We are seeing a portion of their adventures. But also, so what? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's kind of yuck. It's like, hasn't aged well. Bit misogyny-like. I just feel like the Mickey angle, they sort of seem to forget Mickey's a thing if he's not in the episode. Yeah, yeah. Which is fair. But, like, just write it. Like, just have them break up or something. I don't know why. I just, like, always think about that. I think it's yeah. not great for Rose's character that she's like, anyway, whatever. Yeah. Um, Tangentially to Adam... Mm. Uh, the weird, flirty, extremely pushy, unprofessional nurse. Oh, yeah. Fran from Black Box. Isn't she in Green Wing as well? She is, yeah. yeah. She's brilliant. I I'm really her. into her. Yeah, she's awesome. But yeah, she's not a great nurse. This is very odd. I'm guessing she gets quite a nice commission. Yeah, and it's just like a whole bizarre... You know when it, like films or TV shows have like odd subplots? Mm. I feel like this is just an odd subplot. They had time to film. Yeah, literally. And uh. then, which culminates <laughs> in obviously like Adam, you know, getting the headport, trying to get the information back, like via his mum's voicemail, mm. and the doctor finding out, and then like foiling his plans. And then saying at the end, damning him to be average. Yeah. Like, this is the worst possible thing. You will be average in your average little normal human life. Yeah, and he's like, I only take the best because he's talking about Rose. And I'm like, okay. But in the next episode, we'll see her subvert things for her own value as well, the way that Adam has in this. Also, I don't like that he keeps clicking his fingers and opening Adam's headboard, even though Adam's asked him not to. Like. It's just, just a violation of his body. And also this theme again of like of the Doctor just being a bit of a dick. Like, when he we know that he knows what Mickey's name is. Yeah, and I feel like, yeah. you know, okay, Adam has done the wrong thing, you know, he's potentially dangerous, but surely he could just sonic his head thing so it doesn't, like, open. Yeah. Because this yeah. is going to be a problem. Like, it's his like, mum yeah, clicks yeah, her like, fingers like, immediately. Yeah. Ooh, I'm rubbing my forehead I right know. now. <laughs> She's just like... <laughs> But. Yeah, it's not it's not great. It's not flattering. I think to me it kind of speaks to this personality trait that the doctor has of like if you wrong him, mm. he bears a grudge. Yeah, he'll hold it against you. Yeah. Which is, you know, I also bear grudges. <laughs> Can't judge him for that. But he he doesn't give a lot of clarity or a lot of support. You sort of just have to figure it out yourself and then he holds it against you if you don't. Absolutely. And, but then he's also coming from this perspective of, like, humans, you've got so much to learn. Like, you know, he says at the beginning of this episode, it was the year 200,000. This is Earth at its height. Mm. You know, mega cities, population 96 billion. And so he gets it. Like, humanity's on a fucking journey. And, like, these humans that he's travelling with are not on that journey yet. So, like, be kind. This is the thing I think you've yeah. just made me think. Like, the Doctor is painted as, like, his love of humanity as one of his weaknesses, right? Like, mm. he's obsessed with humans. He's always hanging out with humans. He can't seem to, like, let us 
leave us alone. Yeah. But he has such contempt for humans in these episodes. Like, he treats all humans as idiots. So, like, either you love them or you don't. Like, he loves the idea of them, but the practicalities of them are annoying, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Bit of a masochist. Well, yeah. Or, again, cynically, but, you know, maybe he likes hanging around with people who... Make him feel smart. Make him feel smart and B, revere him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just turning up in a TARDIS and he gets some adoring fans. Yeah, because like if he's a low bar to impress us, other time lords unimpressed with his shenanigans. That's why he had to run away, basically, right? Yeah. So, and then and the other species who have been around about for a long time are going to be like, yeah, cool, whatever. Mm. So he's like, well, I have a captive audience, unexperienced humans. I must be exceptional. Can we just talk about the vomitomatic, which is the grossest thing ever? Ah! The yep. cube of vomit. I do think, actually, in Adam's defense, like, you know, she talks about him having unlimited credit and like, he he does say, I, oh, I can't, I couldn't possibly, but he, he wants to be talked into it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the vomitomatic is yuck. Oh, so I don't understand, like, what it's, if you're still vomiting, like, you're not cutting that many corners or making things that much better. Just tidier at the end. yeah. Which is like a weird thing to be like. The experience maybe is still stop like people it. being sick yeah. rather than like. That's yeah. also invasive because he's gotten a, a medical treatment a procedure that he did not ask for. It's like yeah, consent. Going in for removing your wisdom teeth, and they're like, "Hey, we gave you a nose job while you were in there." Like what? Yeah, that's not great either. Hmm. Um, Bad Wolf Watch. There's a Bad Wolf channel. Yeah. I also thought it was telling that the editor, Simon Pegg, was like, oh, a member of staff with an idea. Like, it's so, this is the biggest yeah. risk you could possibly face. And it's a woman. It's a woman who doesn't know her place, who is acting out, right? Mm-hmm. And then they, you know, we know what happens to non-entities. They get promoted. It's this idea we've spoken about before, enforced conformity. Yep. If you don't conform, you get turned into some sort of ice dead person <laughs> yeah ice dead person <laughs> official designation <laughs> yes. yeah i got very like vibes from the whole promotion thing mm. of, and I, th- I don't know whether it's because in our current reality as burnt out millennials i don't want fucking promotion like yuck <laughs> and everything i do is forcibly being like no i want to be comfortable in this role living a comfortable level of life <laughs> You know, yeah. I don't, when people are like, oh, like, what's your next big career move? I'm like, no, fuck off. I don't want to. So this whole thing of like, yes, I've been working hard. I've been here for five years. Next up, I'm going up career ladder. This is my opportunity. Mm. It's just like, oh, very strong. It has that 90s kind of corporate climbing vibe, like career woman out to get things. Yeah, we're climbing the corporate ladder. This is how you get ahead. You get the house. You do the things, which our generation have realized is a lie. Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't matter how much you climb, you're not going to have any of the benefits. So there's no point climbing at all no and this is relatively recent though right because we were getting this is the narrative we got we were fed forced, yeah when we were teenagers when i was like 17 watching this app mm-hmm. you know deciding what i wanted to do at uni decided what you know thinking like i need to get this job and then i need to be doing this and maybe mm-hmm. i need to go to the big city because that's where the best jobs are and then i need to make sure i don't like stagnate this is the thing we went into the market and we lived through various economic crashes and we've seen house prices skyrocket and we've realized that wow we work we have student debt and we've got degrees and we can barely afford to house and feed ourselves. So what's the point? Like the dream we've been sold is not a reality for the our generation. The narrative we were told. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. The story of, you know, the generations above us is like, not a story we yeah. can live. And people who are like even five, ten years older than us, they still live that reality. But we are just that little bit late. We just missed the boat. We're on there. If we think yeah. of it as a pyramid scheme, yeah. we bought too low. Yes. So therefore we are 
fucked, basically. But that's fine because we have a great sense of humor about it. That's it, right? You, know, you can take my, you know, future and ideas for economic success, but you can't take my deprecating sense of humor. Every day I wake up and I think, retirement when? <laughs> anyway. Never. Never. Well, this is the thing. I saw a tweet the other day that said, well, the person was like, I don't know a single person my age or under the age of 35 who believes they're going to retire. I'm like, yeah, we won't get to retire. I just don't want to think about it because it stresses me the fuck out. It's not going to happen unless society collapses, which, you know, I said to someone in the foyer the other day, my retirement plan is societal collapse. So it better better come through. We do have some actually, I think, constructive and useful chats about in the climate wars, how we will build (laughs) our commune. To defend ourselves against, yep. you know, everyone. We've already decided where we're going, to the high ground, what area. Skill sets yep. that we need. Yep. I may have to not be vegetarian if, you know, like possum is my only protein source, but we can grow beans. Yeah, and kumara, king of the vegetables. Yep. Sweet potatoes for those who are not Yeah, really... Kumara fries, like you haven't lived. Yeah, and the drawbridge that we were going to build, the yes. moat. We've got it all figured out. But yeah, we are fucked if there is no societal collapse. Because that, that oh, part yeah, I haven't got figured 100%. out. Like... I've stopped checking my kiwi saver because it's depressing. Oh, is there a point? It's going in one direction I know. and that direction's not up. <laughs> Every time I check, I'm like, how have you lost more no, money? Like, this is the growth fund. You are not growing. I'm like, what are you investing in, yeah, kiwi oh, saver people? Yeah, Westpac. Can, I, can you just have a word, please? Fucking hell. I don't know anything about it, but I feel like you're not doing it right. It's like, I've got a Sharesies account. I don't know anything about investing, but I check it and I'm like, hmm, I appear to have lost money. Am I a millionaire yet? No. Cool. Anywho, <laughs> nice. that's okay. all. That's what Adam wanted as well. He just yeah. wanted an easy out from this life. But can yeah. we blame him if we had that opportunity? Who are we to say we would not also take we, it? We back to the future, find mm. the you know, do some gambling, play some well-timed bets. Okay, so maybe let's segue seamlessly to your standout moment. I just thought it was really interesting. It was this moment when I was watching this, like you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Because mm. the editor has this line where he says. Create a climate of fear and it's easy to keep the borders closed. It's just a matter of emphasis. The right word and the right broadcast repeated often enough can destabilize an economy, invent an enemy, change a vote. We've seen this very recently with Brexit, with the 2016 US election. This is how things work. You know, you make an enemy out of immigrants. The Australians do this all the time with the stop the boats. Well, the liberals, I should say. They do this a lot with the stop the boats campaigns, Mm. right? Like you make your immigrants enemies, you... Yeah, and the same in England, like, you know, Mm. Eastern Europeans, they come to take your jobs. The Polish. Yeah. 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 And so this is just interesting that this is just this age-old thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, it really is. Also, bit of a bummer on the standout moment. I know. (laughs) I just think it's interesting. I think it's interesting. it is, it is. Because we think we are constantly changing and we think we're always evolving as humans. And we have evolved a lot as a society. I think when we look back at these episodes, a lot of the time we're like, wow, that Mm. really, truly was a different time and things like... Mm queer representation and racial discourse and things like that we have made progress and obviously feminism have come a long way as well but there are certain things this war against the other this use of information to create an enemy the militarization of of news and of facts and fake news and all these things and the way that it is used against people this is just an age-old thing like this you can trace this back throughout history we always talk about fake news as if it's a new thing because of social media but actually propaganda and like rewriting truths have been a thing for as long as humans have been around right yeah absolutely so yeah i just thought it was interesting it is it's very 
Do you have a less bummer of a stand-up moment then? Um, so, so first of all, I don't want I want you. Your stand-up moment is your own choice, and I'm sorry if that came across as a bit judgy. I was, I was just hoping for a highlight, and that is a highlight, just, just not a necessarily sad one. in them. Yeah, exactly. So my stand-up moment is the entirety that is Simon Pegg in this episode. Oh, yeah, and this is like pre what I call Hollywood Simon Pegg, mm-hmm. like before he did Star Trek, before he got like international. Yeah. I mean, he'd had some successes definitely, but pretty much. UK based, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, after Shaun like, of the Dead, but pre Hot Fuzz, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty sure it's pre Hot Fuzz, yeah. Yeah, and it's just cracking. I love him. Like, he's great in this role. I think he manages to cover fun, creepy, and weird, mm. <laughs> like, all in one go. And he, like, I think I've always thought he's a great, like, physical actor. Mm. Like, he emotes a lot in his face, like, in his body, like, in a way that's kind of understated. It's not, like, slapsticky, but mm. it's also, like, subtle but impactful. Like, I think he's just, he's great, and they made him look super weird. <laughs> So he's very present, isn't he? Like when he's on screen, you really you notice oh, yeah. that he's got a real presence, and it is quite funny when he tries to run away at the end and then just <laughs> falls over. And then the blob explodes. The blob chunks, disgusting, chunky meaty chunks. I just love that when it's like built up as this big scary thing, and you're not seeing it, not seeing it, and they show like five <laughs> seconds of it. I'm like, is this supposed to be scary? It's also slightly so they've colorized it differently and put teeth on it and made it not fire. But it's an upside down version of the plastic blob from Act One. Like they've literally done a copy paste. Well, they only have so much special effects budgets, you know? Flip it. Yeah. Made it on Canva. Yeah, literally. Oh my god, Canva. Graphic design is their passion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, I think we, yeah, we covered that well. That was a really cool, I think probably shaping narratives and stuff is something that will come up again. Mm, definitely. Um, body modification was like a sub theme that we had and I think that's definitely something I want to talk about but it will definitely come up again yeah so keen for everyone's thoughts next week we'll be discussing episode 8 Father's Day let us know your thoughts by emailing own at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram check out the show notes for links and for all the references discussed in this app amazing I'll see you next week goodbye bye